Good morning. We're so glad to see each one of you here this morning as we come together as God's people and we fellowship with one another and we fellowship with him and we glorify him through our singing and listening to the scripture and his word through Pastor Wes. And we just want to invite you to stand now as we begin by singing his praises. Welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Come every way I'm 
I see. 
Father, we are struck with awe and wonder at who you are. And that in your greatness, you'd want to have relationship with us. It's amazing. We come today to declare your greatness. And to ask you to help us know you more. And to follow you more closely. And to live in your grace and joy and love. Thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for your spirit among us. We worship you. Amen. Take a moment to share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. great to see you as we gather for worship today and let me just highlight a couple things that are in your bulletin uh ladies fall gathering is takes place on the 29th you can sign up this morning for that there's information in the bulletin about it we also have some we still have some opportunities for you to be involved with children and youth uh children on wednesday night boys club girls club boom club uh and also with the youth group that meets on sunday night and uh, uh wednesday night and we would love to have you be a part of these gatherings, if you can be a part of the ministry. It's a chance to invest yourself in some young people and to see, um, see God working in their lives. If you're interested, there are some sign-up sheets in the back, or you can just contact the church office, info at hwchurch.org, and we'll tell us what you are interested in. We'll get you connected to the right people. Even if you just have questions about what's involved, what does it mean, you can let us know, and we'll, we'll have a, get the right people to you to talk through that. If you're interested in working in the nursery, today is the last day to sign up for that. Uh, the schedule will be made tomorrow morning. There are some sign-up sheets in the back as well, and there's a box there. You can drop those in, uh, but just sign up today if you're interested in working in the nursery and you haven't yet signed up. There's also opportunities for you to, to work with music. If you're interested in being part of the worship team or singing in the choir, uh, doing other kinds of, of things related to uh, music or lots of other ministries in the church. And we have opportunities for you. If you're interested, just let us know. We would love to plug you into those. Tonight, our small groups begin meeting uh, various places. Uh, Koinonia, 7 o'clock in the chapel. Next Sunday, we will uh, continue as in this series of looking at our family tree and our spiritual history as we look at some, some people in the scriptures. And uh, next week, we'll be looking at Tamar, Genesis 38, and thinking about the idea of when we feel desperate and uh, our, how, we, how we handle that kind of desperation that can sometimes come to us. Wednesday evening is registration for Boom Club, uh, Children's Ministries, uh, Boys and Girls Club, and you see information about that as well. Uh, there are a lot of prayer concerns in the bulletin, things related right here to us, other stuff going on in the world. Of course, this is a week when there are a lot of uh, difficult tragedies going on in the world, and we are praying for God's grace to, be, uh, to bring peace and to help us as the church to respond in the way that would please Him. And would honor him in the midst of some difficult and even tragic circumstances. We're going to ask the ushers to come now to uh, assist us as we give back to God from all the ways in which he's blessed us.
Please be seated. As we think about the greatness of God, we have so much for which to give thanks, and we hear God also calling us to pour out to Him the burdens and the concerns of our hearts. In this time when we join together in prayer, if you would like to use the altar rail as the place where you come and pray, I'd invite you to join me. Father, it is true, true beyond words, that you are the great God, the creator of all, the one who sustains everything, the one in whose hands everything lies. And it is just as true that we are not. In fact, we come to you today unworthy to be in your presence, unworthy to speak to you, unworthy to even consider relationship with you. And yet we hear you calling us to come, to receive your love and your mercy and your grace. Father, there are times when it's just overwhelming how good you are. How merciful and gracious you are. Lord, the truth of the matter is, we come today and we have to acknowledge that we are messed up people. We fight about such petty things. And we keep grabbing for stuff that that disappears and breaks and erodes and fades away. And sometimes... We get crazy in our relationships. And we're controlled by habits that we know are wrong. And we keep doing things that destroy us. We want people to think that we are wholly devoted to Christ. But too often, we don't look anything like Christ. And Father, even after we repent and come to you, we find it so difficult not to fall back into old patterns once again. So, Lord, today, not because of us, but simply because of your gracious invitation, we declare with your servant David, Lord, forgive us. And we say thank you for your forgiveness. Father, as we come today, there are lots of other burdens besides ours. We pray that you would comfort all who are grieving and heal those who are sick and hurting. Mend our relationships that are fractured. Help us to trust you about the future. Make us like Christ in how we treat each other and all that we do. We pray for this world in which we live. And this week we have seen evidence so clearly the struggles of human nature. Human nature of wanting to hurt 
each other. And we pray that you will forgive us and bring peace to our world. We pray, Father, especially for the relationship between Christians and Muslims in this world that is so volatile right now. And we pray that you will help the whole world to know your love and that you will help us as your people to love rather than to hate. Help us to be sensitive to the struggles of your children instead of being offended by whatever we may feel or incur. Help us to care more about truth in love than in displays of power. Let your church be be so countercultural in this world that the light shines bright in the darkest places. Father, thanks for a great week uh, of clue. Thank you for the hearts that were touched and changed. And let this be not the end, but the beginning. And keep moving us forward as the semester moves forward. And give us grace to be more and more like Christ every day. Father, we offer this prayer as we do all of our prayers in his name. Because of his grace and your mercy in him. Thank you for hearing us. Amen. Scripture this morning is taken from selected verses from the book of Genesis 2 and 3. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a hopper suitable for him. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did not say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, for good and, good, good and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So the stood fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden, 
in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all white animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you not, you must not eat from it. Curse is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat fruit from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Because by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and sing with us. Who are 
Father, our highest praise belongs to you. As we praise you, help us to be open to your spirit. That we let you work in us and transform us. And we ask this through Christ our Savior. Amen. Please be seated. Any of you ever done research on your family? Anybody ever done that? Okay, a few people. You know, one of the things that I think I regret about... So one of, one of the things I regret not doing is talking to my grandparents more about their family. I actually had the privilege of knowing my great-grandparents. I was 16 years old when my great-grandfather died, and I was 24 when my great-grandmother died. And I look back, and I, and I realize now that that's an anomaly for most people, uh, to know your great-grandparents and to know them that well, that they lived that long. And... One of my regrets is not talking with them more about their lives, about their, about their, their years as children, about their parents and their grandparents, and understanding more about that. Because there's something in us that, that sort of has this sense that knowing about our roots helps us understand a little bit more about us. There's something about that, about understanding where we've come from that, that helps us to, to understand more of who we are. I think that's probably one of the reasons why the website Ancestry.com has almost 2 million subscribers. People who pay money to get information off of that site. And why the, there was popularity of the television show, Who Do You Think You Are? Anybody see that, watch that show? I think it was on NBC. And they, they took famous people and told them some things about their history that they didn't know. I think one of the most fascinating ones was Helen Hunt, actress. They, came, they revealed to her that her, I think it was her great-great-grandmother, lived in Maine, in the state of Maine. And she was the leader in that area of the Women's Christian Temperance Union, the anti-alcohol group. And Helen Hunt went, whoa, really? Oh, I didn't need to know that. And then they began to talk and she began to read some of her great-great-grandmother's writings. And, and she realized that her, her grandmother was involved in this, in this movement because of all of the damage that alcohol was doing to their families and to their towns and to women and children particularly. And she said all of a sudden some things in her life began to make sense. There's something about understanding where we've come from that helps us to understand where we are. And over the course of the next two and a half months, we're going to be thinking about our, not just our physical family tree, but our spiritual family tree. Thinking about the people in our heritage who have been significant, people who are part of who we are. And we're going to go back into the scriptures and we're going to look at some people, pull out some people in the scriptures and some people's lives. And some of them are people that we're going to say, wow, I'm so glad we're connected to them. And others of them, we're going to say, really, God, did you have to put those people in the scriptures? Because, but they're all in one way or another, a part of who we are and our spiritual heritage. And the reality is, if we look close enough, we have to admit that we see an awful lot of ourselves in them. 
And of course, if you start talking about roots and you start talking about your family history, you have to begin with Adam and Eve. I mean, that's where it all begins and that's also where it all goes awry. God plants Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He creates them, puts them there, establishes them, gives them everything they could need. And it is an awesome experience until tempted by the serpent, they reject God. And chaos ensues. Their children become, their children end up, one of them ends up killing the other one. As, they, as their family multiplies, you see problem after problem after problem. And they create the first imperfect family. And all of us have been living with imperfect families ever since. Adam and Eve make a choice and it affects us through the centuries. I remember when I was, I don't know, six or seven years old... My, we were on vacation, my family in, in Michigan, and my dad got really sick. And they went to the hospital and discovered that he had acute appendicitis and he needed surgery. As a six or seven-year-old, that's kind of traumatic that your father is going through the surgery. And he was in such deep pain. And I remember they let us, they didn't usually let children into the hospital in those days, but they, they let us in to see him just for a few minutes before the surgery. And I distinctly remember him lying there in bed in agony and pain and saying, Oh, Eve, why did you eat that apple? (laughs) Well, the truth of the matter is we don't know exactly what the fruit was that Eve ate. There's some speculation that the reason the apple has become associated with that is because the Latin word for evil, malice, sounds a lot like the Latin word for apple, malum. And they've sort of gotten connected, but we don't really know. But the reality is, in our day and for many centuries, the apple has been connected with those events in the garden. And that's why Professor Murphy has painted this apple that's put on the wall here. And it's gonna, we're going to be hanging things and putting things up each week to remind us of the things that these people speak to us about. And the truth of the matter is, Adam and Eve create, become an imperfect family. The end of chapter 2 says that they, they are in the garden before the fall and it says they are naked and unashamed. One translation says they are naked and they don't shame each other. I mean, when they, and when they eat the fruit, their relationship with God becomes skewed. Instead of seeing God as their friend who comes to them in the cool of the day and walks with them and teaches them and talks with them, they now hear God coming and they run and hide. Because they're afraid of God. Now God isn't one who is for them. Now God is one who is against them. And they're filled with fear about God. And their relationship with each other is totally skewed as well. Now before they didn't didn't feel shame and they didn't shame each other. Now it's all about manipulation and control and barriers and suspicion and self-centeredness. And when God says to Adam, did you eat from the fruit that I told you not to eat from? What's Adam's knee-jerk response? To throw Eve under the bus. Right? Hey, the woman you gave me, gave me this fruit to eat. And we've been doing that to each other ever since. We've been doing that over and over again in a myriad of ways. Of turning on each other, being suspicious of each other, wanting to control each other. 
And Adam and Eve, the consequence of their sin, are things that, sh- that should bring joy because of productivity, childbearing, and, and tilling the soil, now are connected to deep pain and struggle. But perhaps the most painful and long-lasting consequence is just how they see each other, how they relate to each other. Because before the fall, there is no suspicion. There's no self-centeredness. There's no trust issues. But now God says that to Eve that she will have this yearning in her heart for a relationship and she will seek her husband to fill that spot. And she'll do that in a way that any way she can, to yearning for him, to try to get him to, to love her the way she wants to be loved. And how will he respond? He will respond with power. Dominion, ruling over her. Both responses are about control. How can I get what I want? How can I do what I want to do? How can I convince you to give me what I want you to give me? It's no longer how can I love you, but how can I get you to love me? And it's all about control. And our relationships have been about control ever since. We continually wrestle with relationships and control and manipulation and trust issues. I mean, we all know that. And we're all raised in families where that was the case. There are no perfect families because there are no perfect people. Every family is imperfect. And you and I were raised in families that were imperfect. And you and I are the people we are. And we struggle with the things that we struggle with. A lot because of the imperfections of our families. What amazes me is that in the midst of this painful diagnosis, God says to them, there's still hope. Verse 15 of chapter 3, he talks about the, the serpent will, will strike the head of her offspring, but her offspring will strike, will strike the heel of her offspring, and his heel will strike the serpent's head. And most people see this as a, as a precursor to Jesus coming and once and for all dealing with the problem of sin. And that's exactly what we find in Jesus. Jesus comes to heal. In in Luke's gospel, chapter 4, Jesus' first time speaking in the synagogue of his hometown of Nazareth, he pulls out the scroll of all the things he could say. He says, I have come to release the prisoners. I've come to set captives free. I've come to heal the sick. I've come to restore relationships. I have come to help you understand the truth about God and the truth about each other. I've come to heal and to restore. And that's what Christ does for us. That's why he comes. And how does he do that? I think one thing is he calls us to to let go of our of the chains, to release us from the chains of of unrealistic expectations about our family. Now, we know up here that no family's perfect. We have a hard time getting that in here. Do you ever have the experience where you, 
You want, you look back at your family and, and the things that your parents did and you think, why couldn't they have been different? Because the truth of the matter is every family is dysfunctional. Every family has troubles. Every family is imperfect, even the best of them. And there are certainly levels of dysfunction. You have some families where the dysfunction is high. Abuse and, and divorce and, and mental illness. And, and there, are, there are those that end of the spectrum. And it causes great pain and great difficulty for everyone who's a part of the family. But even at the lower levels, there is still dysfunction. Because you're putting together imperfect people. And imperfect people make imperfect families. No matter how good they may look to us. I was raised in a family where I don't, everyone that I know in my family is a Christian. I do not know one single family member that's not a Christian in my family. And I am the 11th pastor in my family. I, mean, I often tell people when we get together for family reunions, the only argument we have is who's going to say grace over the meal. But that's not really true. Because the truth is, we have arguments all the time. We hurt each other all the time. Our family falls short all the time. When my family gets together, my two sisters and I, we will often sit down and talk about things that, over the ways in which we were raised that burden us. And things that still linger in us and things that hurt us. And I know that my parents did the same thing with their parents. Because no family is perfect. And the sooner we come to grips with that, the sooner we can be set free from it. See, we live in expectations. That's how, that's how we live our lives. When are you disappointed? You're disappointed because some expectation you had wasn't met. How much more when the expectation is unrealistic? Impossible. Now, this is not an excuse to say, well, it doesn't matter how you treat people. It doesn't matter what your family does. Just do whatever you want because we're all imperfect, so whatever. That's not the point. It's not an excuse. It's actually the first step toward healing in our families. And you see, this isn't just about our physical families. Because I know many of you here today are, are not close to your physical family. You've come here to school, or you've come here to work, and, and you're not connected to your physical family, at least not very much. And that's why I'm thinking, this is not just about the physical family, it's about the church family too. Because the same principles apply. There are no perfect physical families, there's no perfect church families either. We'd like to think that's the case. We'd like to think that we come to the church and everybody's perfect and we don't hurt each other. We don't disappoint each other. But we do. Because you're putting together a group of people who are imperfect. And you put together imperfect people and you're going to have imperfection. That's why I've come to, been very freeing for me to, to begin to understand and see the church in the context of a hospital instead of a country club. You know, we tend to think that the church is sort of like a country club where everybody looks nice, everybody says the right things, everyone does the right things, everything's perfect. But that's not the church, that's unrealistic. The truth of the matter is, 
The church is like a hospital. And hospitals are messy. And hospitals are about sick people. You ever hear a doctor say, I wish these sick people would quit coming to me. That's why they exist. The same way with the church. It's why we exist. It's a group of people who are imperfect, who need healing, coming together and sharing life and caring for each other and letting Christ heal us. And the first step in that is letting go of that unrealistic expectation that everything ought to be perfect. The reality is if we try to make it perfect, we don't make it better, we make it worse. We've just raised the expectation that much more. And now we've created even more frustration, and which leads to more anger, which leads to more bitterness, which leads to more difficulty. What we're looking for is not people who are perfect, but Christ is looking for people who are willing and hearing his call to mirror his strategy for healing. See, God heals us not just by releasing those expectations, but also by us embracing his strategy for healing. How does Christ heal us? By force? By power? By shoving it in our faces? By dragging us along? No, he heals us through the cross. It's through death. It's through surrender and sacrifice. That's how Christ heals us. And Paul says to us in the second chapter of Philippians, have this mind that was in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the nature of a servant and made himself in human form. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, who has every right to say, I'm God. I get to say what happens. I get to control things. I get to use my power. Becomes a servant. And the people who are followers of Jesus are called to the same mindset. And that means that we relate to each other and we respond to each other in a spirit of love and compassion. And patience and truth and gentleness. We become families in our homes and in the church where we are committed to mirroring the strategy of Jesus. You know, we live in a world where the The political realm is so acrimonious. And we're seeing the divide continue to grow as we get closer to the presidential election. And when I hear Christians jump into the mix of that and shouting and and proposing that the answer is power, it burdens me. Because the answer isn't power. The answer is love. The answer is grace. The answer is mercy. We've forgotten that we are called not to win, but to love. And in our families, we so often get sucked into winning and controlling. And then we wonder, why is all this falling apart? Why do we keep hurting each other? Somehow we're trying to break the cycle to say, instead of responding with venom 
and control and getting my own way, I'm going to give up. And I'm going to surrender and I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to love and I'm going to let go. Like Jesus does for me. And ultimately, underneath all of this is this commitment to family. I think that's a struggle for us because, you know, we're, we're looking for we're looking for a place where we can just feel comfortable, a place where we're where we're not challenged, a, a place where we can we can just do what we want to do. That's the human perspective. And when we don't find that, when we find opposition, when we encounter stress, when we encounter frustration, our first response is to say, I'm going to run. Now, granted, there are some family situations in homes where danger is involved and getting out is the right thing to do. There are situations in our homes where it's just not healthy to stay. And to get out of that is the right thing to do. And God makes it clear in the scriptures that he gives us that, that, that willing that right to do that. And the same thing is through churches. There are some spiritual settings where it's dangerous for us. It's not healthy for us. And we need to get out of that and do something else. But a lot of the time, what we're really talking about is I didn't get my own way. I'm not, I, I can't, I'm not controlling things. I didn't get what I want. This is too hard. This is pushing me too much. And we run. But the truth is, we're in this thing together. And I know for some of you, this is not the place where you may have grown up going to church. But while you're here and we're connected together, that's what we want to be. We want to be family together. We want to share our ups and downs. We want to share our frustrations and our hopes and our dreams and everything that we want to be in Christ. And the minute we come together, yeah, it's going to mean difficulties and frustrations and everything is going to turn out the way we want it to. But the real growth in our lives takes place when we stick with it. When we recognize that despite the fact that I feel frustrated, that I'm not sure it's exactly what I want, we're connected to each other anyway. Because we're family. You know, it's like the it's like the you know, the great uncle in your family who has collected bobbleheads for forty seven years and every place in his house has bobbleheads and you walk in there and eccentric just screams at you. Hey, he's family and you you, you can't deny it. Or the aunt that has thirty seven cats and all of them run the house. You know, she's family. Whether you like it or not. And some of us in the body of Christ are kind of quirky, to be honest with you. But we're family. And we're connected to each other. And even if we have different theological views about some things, even if we have different political views about some things, even if we like different kinds of music or different kinds of worship styles, we dress differently, we look different, we're family. And we're connected. That's what family does. And only as we stay connected to each other and stick in there, it's in those moments that the real spiritual growth takes place. When we're challenged and it's difficult and we stick with it, God can do something in us to take us deeper, loving people that are hard to love, caring for people that we just as soon avoid. 
being there for people that we'd rather run from. Those are the circumstances where we become like Christ. Because that's what Jesus did. And that brings us to this table. This table is is in many ways simply a gathering of family eating what the Father's prepared. It is food for our souls and we're taking it together. And this morning we're going to take communion by intinction and we're going to release you by rose and you're going to come to the front. And one of the reasons that we're doing that is so that we get to see each other. We get to watch each other walk up and walk past us. And we, we look at each other and we see each other and we realize we're all family. We're all connected with all of our quirks and our imperfections and our dysfunction. We're all family. And God has done something for us in Christ. And God wants to keep doing more for us in Christ. And we're coming to eat the meal as a sign that we want Christ to do that work in us. Individually and together. And my prayer is that as we take, as we eat, we'll have that sense, a new sense, a deeper sense that we're God's family together in Christ. Father, thank you for calling us to be family. Thank you for bringing us together in our homes and in this place. Thank you for giving us grace when it's hard and for the joys that we experience because we're connected to each other. We pray your blessing upon the bread and the cup of which we are about to partake. Let it be be food for our souls. For us as individuals. And for us as the family of God in this place. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night he took the cup. And again he gave thanks to the Father in heaven. And he gave it to his disciples. Saying drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant. Which is shed for your sins. And the sins of all people. Every time you do this. Do it in remembrance of me. As the ushers release you by rows, I invite you to come up and tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup and eat it. You can return to your seat by the outside aisle and the altar is always open if you'd like to stay and pray. But all of us who desire to be family with God and with each other, with all of our struggles and difficulties, if that's the desire of your heart today, then come And receive these gifts from our gracious and loving Heavenly Father.
what wondrous love is this? Oh, my soul, what wondrous love is this? Oh, my soul, what wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of this to bear the dreadful curse for my soul? love is this oh my soul what wondrous love is this oh my soul what wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of life to lay aside his crown for my soul to lay aside his crown for my soul oh wondrous love
See the benediction. Please stand. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.